Hello and welcome to another episode of the Young Musician's Guide podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Campbell, and actually welcome to season two. It's It's been a while since I've seen you guys. Um, I wanted to start the season in the new year and also some things kind of happened in my personal life that made it kind of difficult for me to get the podcast out. But we are here in 2018, um, if you're listening to this in real time, and we are coming back stronger than ever as kind of an apology for not being able to actually get this thing out to you guys on a regular basis for a while. I'm extending the season. Instead of nine episodes, we're going to 12 episodes for this season. So look out for those every other Monday if you're listening to this in real time. We have some great guests. I, I, I'm so excited for the people we have in line. Um, and we're going to have some conversations with people who I think can really help you guys out and kind of picking out what you want to do in music, or even those of you who are already in a music career, kind of help you extend and think about your career and your career path differently. And for today's episode, our guest is a really good friend of mine, John Haddon. Um, he is the brass development coordinator at Buffet Crampon over in Jacksonville, as well as hey, he's not a terrible tuba player either. Um, I've known John since undergrad. We went to USF for a little bit together and we've just kind of maintained a relationship and it just works out that now I'm an artist for Besson and my friend John is now working for the company that, you know, is a part of the Besson, uh, situation with Buffet Group. So I, it was really cool to be able to go up, um, see his house in Jacksonville, get to hang out with him, have a, we, we did a tuba Christmas gig together with, uh, Mark Dickman. It was, it was a great time and we got to have a conversation. We actually talk about a game that we have and that's we're actually about to go play tuba christmas together and in our conversation we talk about kind of what his job entails and what's it like working kind of on the industry side of music in terms of like the business of getting instruments out and 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 convincing people to purchase instruments and it's really interesting that side of things it's a very important part and a very big part of the music field and not a lot of people talk to you about the awesome opportunities that there are there and john even goes into kind of making the decisions on how he wanted his career path to go because like many of us he he was going the the performance route and now he's here and he hasn't been there for a very long time but he says he's he's enjoying it and let him speak for himself so before we get into that episode um thank you to the many of you who are subscribing liking leaving reviews on all the various mediums in which you can listen to this episode i really appreciate it and i'm so grateful for your attention and for your support and if you want to continue helping the the podcast. If you haven't already, liking and subscribing and doing all those things is great. Also, if you go and check out the Patreon, um, we've got some new things going on on the Patreon. So if you want to check that out, it is specifically now just for the podcast. It's not for any of my other social media forms. And the biggest thing you can do is share it. I know so many of you actually have people in your lives who could use some of the advice from the people I'm bringing in and, and because I'm using their advice. And I really hope that we can we can help spread our reach and give good advice to as many people as possible. So again, the biggest thing you can do is actually share this podcast however you can, you know, tweet it out, Facebook it out, you know, Instagram me, just tag me, all that <laughs> all that kind of good stuff. Anyway, let's get on with it. Let's jump into the first episode of the second season of the Young Musicians Guide. It is good to be back. Let's have a conversation with John so what, what was the main reason that you decided to just like, keep on going with that? Keep on going with 
keep on going with. Like, to, instead of doing a doctor going and actually picking the buffet cake was the main reason for it. Are you recording? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, so, so what, I, what, what, the, what we do is, uh, so it's just, it's organic, it's not, there's no intro. I, I do that all post-show. Cool. And then we just sit down and have a conversation. It's literally unscripted. It's just a conversation well, I'm, that I'm, we've had many times. I'm just glad I'm, I asked because I don't know what kind of uh, language might have came out of my mouth otherwise. Um, so I decided to do buffet instead of those auditions um, or to, to keep up with the doctorate just because I, I knew that I could still have a presence in the community, uh, that I could work super hard. You know, and, and my thing at Buffet still make a difference uh, in the musical community, even if it wasn't by playing notes, you know, on the tuba as a full-time gig. Um, and it's also to meet people and try something different. You know, for six years I went to school and my job as a student, besides theory and history and all that stuff, was to, to put air through my horn 30, 40, 50 hours a week. Uh, and I wasn't bored of that yet, but I thought it was exciting to go do something in the music industry, even if it's music business, that wasn't 40 hours a week of playing the tuba, which I, I still love that. It's just that buffet is, it's different, you know, it's a new challenge, it's fun. Well, I feel like you are probably impacting the music community even more than just sitting in an orchestra and playing. Yeah. It's, Doing what you're doing. I mean, as a community in whole, and I mean, a lot of people, they'll get the, they'll get the orchestra job and they'll do a lot of really good outreach and a lot of good educational stuff through it, or they'll use it to promote other projects they're working on that can impact the music community. But a lot of people get those chairs and just, they get their part down and they sit. Yeah. And it, right now you're outreaching to musicians all over the country, <laughs> trying to get them horns and trying to get their students horns and... You know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, in a way, um, like the, the educator in me, because I've done my fair share of, uh, <clears throat> you know, t- teaching private students, working <clears throat> with some ensembles and stuff, the educator in me, uh, whether I'm trying to rationalize it or it's just natural, said, uh, you know, is this still making a difference to, to other musicians? Am I making a difference to educators, to their students, to their students' students? Uh, and to me, I am, because, of course, for me to do my job well, like the, the end result will hopefully be that the, the brass brands from Buffet Crampon, you know, the six brass brands that we have, that they will grow and they will they will develop and they'll reach more people. Um, so, yes, that's part business, but it's also, for me, part educational because I can show directors and students things that they didn't know was out there for the, the value that it is. Um, and not every single person is going to like the same exact tuba or like the same exact brand, but there are more than enough uh, teachers and especially students out there that don't know about all the options because they don't have the right educators or the right training or the time to know. Um, there's a lot of people that don't know that they would prefer one of our horns. So in doing my job, sometimes it's just about showing them and then they make the choice. You know, we, we say at work that uh, the horns speak for themselves. And as an educator, like you and I know the same thing that we tell our students to go play all the horns that they can and the horn will pick them, you know, they'll pick it up and they'll sit down with a tuner and they'll play some excerpts, maybe a few scales, and they'll know after a few hours or a few days that that horn is, is perfect for them. So for those, I mean, talking about educated masses, for those who don't know, so what is Buffet Crampon and the Buffet Group and all that kind of stuff? Sure. So Buffet Crampon uh, is interesting. It's its, its own brand uh, out of the 10 brands that Buffet Crampon, the, the group, um, owns and controls and manufactures. Yeah, because most people know Buffet for the clarinets. Exactly. Specifically. Yeah, when, when I, usually when I say Buffet Crampon, and technically 
the the group that I work for is Buffet Crampon USA. We handle North American um, sales, distribution, whatever you want to call it. So normally when people hear Buffet Crampon, they think, you know, one of the world's oldest clarinet manufacturers, uh, top-end clarinets, uh, like the best student clarinets, you know, like across the board. Everyone knows about Buffet Crampon clarinets. But so Buffet, um, after lots of different like conglomerates or mergers between Buffet and even separately other companies over the years, you know, different companies will acquire different brands all the time. Uh, more recently, Buffet acquired, you know, within the last decade, um, these six great brass brands. So they already had Buffet and uh, three other woodwind brands. So they had four woodwinds. Or sorry, they had Buffet and two other woodwind brands. And then they got the, the brass brands, the majority of them. So they were at nine. And then also within... I believe the last decade we've gotten Powell flute. So now we've got 10. Uh, and we, you know, we say the world, the world's largest professional instrument manufacturer. We also make student and step up instruments, you know, like intermediate level. Um, but we have like the most brands. We make pretty much every, every instrument in the wind section of a band or an orchestra, basically from student to pro. So if you're looking for student trumpets, if you're looking for an intermediate French horn, if you have a beginning flute player, if you have a, a pro advanced super special clarinet player that wants something custom uh, between our different factories and, and different distribution centers um, we make those horns and then we also get them to to um, dealers you know like music and arts Sam Ash who eventually get them to the end user the musician and a lot of local stores as well yeah um, yeah I mean if you if you go down the road to your either your Sam Ash or your um, you know, like John Haddon's music, which I don't know my own place, but if I did, maybe I'd call it that. Uh, they, they will probably have something of ours, whether it's something from all 10 brands or Student 2 Pro. Uh, there's almost a guarantee that they will have one Buffet Crampon Clarinet or one Best in You So if I, if I walk into a store and I see that they have, like, if I walk into a store and see that they have a Buffet, you know, clarinet poster on the wall and I'm so I know that they they retail buffet clarinets and I might not see you know a minor lesson instrument throughout the entire store would they be able to order it in for me yeah absolutely so uh so if it, it's a package deal if you get one you get the store at least can carry all of them. yes uh they can there's diff- different processes um processes processes there's different processes um that will you know, like a store can be labeled different stuff. A, a dealer's is what we talk about at work, um, but they're, they're the same thing a dealer in a store. So there's different ways that they can become like an authorized dealer, which is whether they're authorized or not. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that they can't have our, you know, our clarinets or our tubas if they're not authorized. There's just like that's a separate process. But yeah, absolutely. If they have, even if they don't have a poster on the wall or they have none of our brands, uh, any dealer really can can come to us in the end and they can say, um, hey, I have a customer that's interested in this. Uh, do you have someone in the area who maybe has it? They can play test it. Or the customer might even say, I already know this is what I want. I don't need to play test it. You're my local music store. Call Buffet and, and make it happen. Uh, and if we get a call and someone says, hey, I need a euphonium, you know, then we we make a euphonium and uh, Germany sends a euphonium over to us in Jacksonville and we send it off to that music store and then they, they get it to the customer. But, but does the customer have to go through a retailer or could I call you guys and be like, give me a horn? Yeah, so that's a good question. So our customers at Buffet Cramp on USA are the dealers. So we, we don't sell direct. Um, I mean, almost no professional... Uh, professional in the sense that they're in the business, not just that they make pro-level horns, but almost no professional instrument manufacturer and distribution center, um, whatever arm the distribution center is in the world, they they don't sell to end users. There are a few, 
uh, and there are complications in that 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 I don't know the ins and outs, you know, specifically in my position, uh, and also they they're complicated to say the least. Well, yeah, anybody, and this is for anyone. If you if you are confused as to why these standards are in place, because it makes sense, it would make sense for me to just be able to like knock on the door in Jacksonville and walk into the warehouse and go. Hey, can I buy that? And you go, well, no, it would be, but it makes sense, right? You've got the horn there. I've got money. Let me exchange my my money for goods. Yep. You know, but if you're ever confused as to why something's like that, just for the mass media, lawyers, <laughs> it's, it's paper. There's stuff on the other end and it's just, there's a lot of bureaucracy behind that kind of stuff. I, when I bought my horn that I play on now, uh, the, when I, when I bought my prestige, um, it was at Napa, a brass band conference, and even then I went up to them and I said, I have money, give me horn, and they said, kind of, but they, and they processed it and I was able to get it there, but they actually had to process it through a store that I, that I, that they, they picked a store, I don't, I'm not even sure which one I bought it from, I should know that, <laughs> um, and, and they processed it through, and they were really nice and they were extremely accommodating, but it was all a thing. So what is your, what's your actual title? Sure. Uh, brass brass development coordinator. All right. So what is that? Um, well, I could be a jerk and I could say that I coordinate the development of brass, uh, but but there's there's more to it than that. Um, and I, I will say too, before we leave the like, why can they not just knock on the door? Uh, and really easy way to explain it without getting into details because we wouldn't have to get into details with the analogy. Also, is like when you go to a supermarket, you don't you don't think about like the hundred different items you put in your cart. You don't ever think, man, why can't I just go to this tomato canning factory and buy direct? Yeah. You know, you just go to the supermarket and you buy it. So a music shop, uh, I know because it's a bigger bigger purchase and it's it's longer um you know it's 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 got more value you spend a lot of money on it but you'll use it for 10 20 50 100 years whatever same thing with like a car you know you can't go to the warehouse in japan to get a whatever they make over there mitsubishi um to buy it cheaper you don't go you don't go to detroit to get your chrysler exactly you have to buy it you know in jacksonville you go to tom frank's dealership where he's got crazy 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 low prices exactly um, that's not a real dealership unless it's not an ad. <laughs> yeah, right. We don't want any lawyers involved with this. Um, so what I what I do, brass development coordinator. So, so yeah, what is developing brass? Sure. And how do you coordinate it? So relatively recently, I mean, the, the six brass brands that we have have not only been around for a decade, but Buffet Crampon, uh, like the entire parent company, you know, has has. I don't mean control like in in a sort of aggressive way, but has you know controlled them uh, and and made the instruments, distributed them uh, for not relatively long in the grand scheme of things, whereas like Buffett Crampon clarinets uh, have been around, I think we just had like our 200 year anniversary or something. Um, so Buffett yeah, Crampon... Yeah, at like 190. Yeah, exactly. Right? So Buffett Crampon has been in control of Buffett Crampon for a long time. Okay. Uh, Buffett Crampon has been in control of Besson for a very short time. So um, what, what we're theoretically trying to do... Uh, is like you and I both know that for, for you, for example, like the best in euphoniums, that those are world class, like almost everybody, whether they should play them or not, will love them. And then because of that, uh, a lot more people than play them now would probably, you know, prefer them over other brands that they've tried or whatever. Uh, same thing like on my end with the tubas. I know that Mono Weston and um, BNS tubas 
everyone's got a preference. So I'm not going to say they blow other brands out of the water, you know, but a lot of people will prefer those instruments. Same, same with the clarinets. Like we don't think that everyone needs to stop playing all other clarinets, but part of the reason that the clarinets are so great is because they've been around for so long. We've, we've been able to control what we do with them marketing wise and distributing wise. So everyone knows that those are like, you know, the standard at the, the top end. Um, so what I'm trying to do theoretically is make like Besson on the same playing level, uh, in our market as clarinets are. So every single music shop will have a, a buffet cramp on clarinet, almost every single one. And, uh, a, like a larger percentage of schools will have more buffet cramp on clarinets than, than other brands perhaps. Um, but the, the numbers are much lower when we look at, uh, tubas or, or euphoniums or whatever. Um, but because of the world-class standard, you know, they've brought me on to find new ways, uh, and to kind of oversee the, you know, the, the outreach or the, the marketing with these things. Um, so the job is a new position. It's not one like they had before someone left and I filled it. Uh, they just had an idea that, Hey, wait a second. We, you know, we've relatively recently gotten these six brass brands. Uh, what can we do? And they decided to put in the, the focus and the energy on one specific person to coordinate you know, the, the development of that press. Uh, so like one thing specifically that I've done is I've, I've created uh, a program. It's not necessarily like, I mean, it's not an artist program or anything like that, but it's specifically to partner with um, different educators or performers uh, based on like how much influence they might have over an area of someone's teaching a hundred trumpet students and they've never heard of BNS. Um, Maybe that person's not like a partner for this program if they have no experience, but it's also my job, uh, and I, I enjoy it, uh, to reach out to them and to, I guess the best word is educate them. Like if they've, if it's a Trump teacher that's teaching 100 trumpet students, you know, on the regular, and they, they've never heard of BNS, then if I find, you know, 20 of them in a year, and I educate 20 of them on, on what BNS plays like, what the value is, you know, like general pricing, whatever I can do, uh, if we get two of them that now BNS is in their brain for this is something my students should consider. And if they're teaching 100 trumpet students a week, then we're going to reach more people and, and be able to show them that BNS uh, is not only an option, but a lot of them will prefer it. So I'm not, you know, I'm not at all trying to, to jam these things down people's throats or like bang it into their brains. Uh, I think of my job kind of educationally uh, in that I'm just showing them, you know, this is an option. And because the instruments speak for themselves, because they're so great, just like the clarinets, uh, almost everybody that I, I meet and talk to about it and they get a chance to try it, they fall in love. So well, it seems like <clears throat> even before, and, and I mean, and I full disclosure, being an artist for one of the companies, you know, but even before getting involved in that way, it, it has always seemed to me, and this is why I like a lot of the people that I've worked with, even back when, you know, Besson was not, you know, involved with this stuff, is that I enjoyed that it always seemed like you guys are all, so much more about exposure than selling it, and you, and you guys, and it's, it's the confidence in the brand, I mean, you keep saying that it's, you know, the horns will speak for themselves, but it's also, it seems to me that you guys are just trying to expose people to said instruments and like you say you say educate but it's really just like here are the instruments and what you choose to do with them is your own but here they are for you yeah. to, to try out and for your students to try out and all that kind of stuff um which i feel like is good marketing and salesmanship in the first place i feel like anybody who's like well this is the best one there's not going to be anything better than that um, you're, you're pigeonholing yourself and you're making yourself look like a jerk. Yeah, exactly. That's so, 
I, I tell people, uh, you know, some people ask when I describe my job, they say like, oh, so you're you're a salesman. So uh, officially, no, I'm absolutely not because well, we, because you don't have any, mar- you don't even have like marketing or sales in your name. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and, and we, I mean, we literally have a sales team. You know, like we have a salesman that handles the southeast. You know, yeah. Donnie Todd. We have sales uh, salesmen that we call them division managers, but they they're all over the country, um, including at the the showroom in New York. There's somebody there. But so, um, oh man, what was I gonna say? Oh, so the the instruments like selling themselves and the, the way that I'm doing it and really that, that we go buy things. Uh, like you and I know this, even if I never put it into like conscious thought and into a sentence, but uh, Tim Ornato, who's the low brass product specialist uh, in the office here in Jacksonville, he, um, he made a good point, you know, that I mean, we've talked a million times about how the instruments sell themselves and the value. So some people just in general will say like, well, why this brand or like why this much money or whatever. Uh, And really when you look at like when you play the instrument, when you look at the people playing the instrument, when you see how they hold up because of the – you like for the brass, for example, the German manufacturing, um, just the overall value is is so incredible that even if you have to wait a little bit longer to buy the horn because it's expensive, uh, it is so worth it. It's it's like if you have – you know, you're steadily saving up money and you don't need a car, but it would make things more convenient. You should not spend a thousand dollars on a car that's got 250,000 miles. That's like, you know, knockoff has some problems with it, but it works. If you're steadily making money, then you should wait a couple of years and get a used car or a new car for, you know, 10, 15,000, whatever. So same thing with the instrument. It doesn't make sense to uh, get something that has an overall low value, but the low price is attractive. Um, it makes more sense to to buy the professional quality, whether it's a student clarinet or a pro tuber or whatever, uh, to go for something that has this incredible value. When we explain the value to somebody, not, you know, value and price are different, but when we talk about the value to somebody, almost always the, the horn sells itself, you know? So you're, you're day in and day out. I mean, so I've, I've kind of secondhand experienced it. I mean, cause we, I mean, we were buddies in college and then you know, went our separate ways and now it's just kind of serendipitously worked out that you work for this brand that I also play for. And, <laughs> um, but I, you know, I came in and visited the, the warehouse yesterday and everybody was really nice. It was really cool, really nice facility. Um, everyone was really nice. Um, and then, so I, I've kind of seen where you work and you even have your own office that we're working on the name tag. <laughs> we are. I'll have my plaque soon. And, uh, and so, so you are... And then I know that you contact me on a regular basis because I'm an artist, and and we've also you've also just because I also do a lot of you know the social media stuff and all this kind of stuff. So you're always you know talking to me about what's going on, what are we doing, and then so I, I've kind of secondhandedly felt what your day in day out is. But what really is like what's a day in the life when you walk into that office? Sure. Um, so usually I walk in. And uh, Cliff, our customer service manager, is always there before me. So is Francois, usually our CEO, unless he's out of town for something. So I, I try to get there early enough where I, I beat Cliff's uh, morning email where he sends out a stock report. And lately I've been failing. Sorry, Cliff. Um, you know, I, I sit down, I get ready, I put my stuff in the fridge, I get behind my computer. Uh, and that's, you know, when the work starts. This is probably like 8 o'clock in the morning. I, I like to get there a little bit earlier. Um I've already practiced and stuff before that. So I'll, I usually go through my emails. You know, I'm at the point in my life where how our professors used to or still do complain or just explain that they get 200 emails, you know, and they can't go through them all. So I'll go through my emails and trust me, I don't have 200, but you don't realize how long like 10 or 15 legitimate emails takes to handle. 
Uh, so if I have 10 or 15 in the morning, that's, you know, that's, that's a less stressful morning. So that's the first thing you tackle in your day is well, yeah, my, responding to those? My first thing, uh, and this comes from like years and years, not just of music stuff or like business stuff, but also fitness and just general life goals. I have a plan every morning that I follow um, and it has to do with it just organization. So I'll sit down, uh, I'll pull up all the emails. So I'll star all the emails that I have to get back to or I need to follow up on or whatever. Then I, I go to Facebook because now Facebook is like, it's not just Facebook anymore. You know, it's like you can use it as a tool for a million different and things. That's how you communicate with me. Exactly. So if people, whether it's you or someone that found me on Facebook and says like, hey, how much are tubas? You know, whether it's a question I can answer or not. I take it upon myself to get back. So I'll pull up like 15 different windows of Facebook, you know, um, and then I actually have two or three email addresses, some some others that also somehow might <laughs> include work stuff. So I'll pull up all that stuff and I'll go through it. Then I, I actually make a to-do list like on in my notebook. Uh, yeah, I know, but it, <laughs> there's just something about it. I mean, whether you're in music or music business or, or you're a doctor trying to work on stuff. Like, well, you probably do that with your workout routine too. Well, exactly. I, I write exactly what I'm gonna do. Uh, you know, maybe it's too organized for some people, but it, it helps me get it done. And at least so far I've seen results with it, uh, not just in the gym, but like at, at work at the office too. Um, so then, yeah, I'll, I'll start tackling my emails. Uh, half of what I, I tackle is whether it's people that I've known before or haven't. Uh, it's people that are not involved really like in music business. So they're maybe asking stuff that uh, it's technically not my gig to handle or it's something I, I can't help with. Um, you know, they, they might come to me and they might say, uh, I want a tuba and I know that they are this much money and I want to haggle down. But so that's that's not up to me at all, you know, because that that tuba player that's contacting me, I, I will never the office will never get them a tuba. Most likely, it'll go to you know a, a dealer, yeah. and then so they've got to call their dealer. Um, so I understand that some people don't know how it works. So half half of what I do is some stuff like that, and also fielding it to other people in the office, like a trumpet player or a colleague from USF, you know, from our time there, might reach out and they might say. You know, my, my band is going to be looking at trumpets in the next few months or a few years or whatever. Like, what do you recommend? So I have my own thoughts and I'll share them, but I'll also make sure that I put them in touch with, with Warren Coos, who's our high brass product specialist, who you know. Um, so that's half of it. The other half uh, is either responding to or finding these people um, or about half uh, of my work is finding educators, whether they're like high school teachers or private lesson teachers, even university teachers that have not been in the field long enough where they're like doing the artist thing or whatever and finding these people um, that do have influence over their area like for example like a high school private lesson teacher someone that's in 10th grade that's working with their friend down the block who's in 6th grade and they're both tuba players I, I most likely even if I found them somehow like on the internet looking for a private tuba teacher in whatever area I would not contact them like they're doing their own thing they're learning they're, they're new enough where you know, that's, that's not what my gig is about. But if I look up, let's say I go to California, we have a, a DM out there, Michael Wallace, and I want to help him develop some brass stuff out there. And I, for some, some reason I get contacted by, or I come across somebody that teaches on a regular basis, you know, 50 trumpet students and 25 French horn students. And I don't know anything about them and they're not affiliated with any group, you know, so it's, it's totally kosher to contact them. I'll reach out and I'll say like, Hey, let's have a dialogue. If nothing else, just know that you can contact me, you know, and I can help out with stuff. But it almost always leads to, uh, oh, this is interesting. You know, do you have someone out in California? Can I try one of those trumpets? So, for example, this is kind of weird. It happened yesterday. I know I told you, but I, I found a particular teacher in the Los Angeles area uh, through just, you know, reaching, reaching out online research 
who he sees, you know, at one single time, uh, like 90 or so students come in and out of his studio, you know, on a weekly or monthly basis, whatever it is. So that's 90 potential people that might prefer, for example, like BNS trumpets, which are big in the, the U.S. market. So this gentleman, uh, I don't know, I forget what actual trumpet he plays on, like regular, you know, mainstream for most of his gigging. Uh, it wasn't BNS, but so he has an Antoine Courtois flugelhorn, which Antoine Courtois is one of our brands. He also has a Jay Scherzer piccolo trumpet, rotary trumpet, which is also one of our brands. So he's familiar, whether he knows it or not, with our you know ten brand buffet crampon company. But he has no idea anything about BNS trumpets. You know, I mean, I think he knows that they exist, but he's not familiar with them. So. I, I talk to him and whether you want to call it a pitch or whatever, I say, uh, well, you know that Courtois and, and Scherzer, you know, are part of the same group. They're made in the same area by the, the same quality of people. They're just different models, different brands. Uh, if you love them so much, you know, let me talk to you about BNS. Um, and I, I will have these dialogues with these people over the phone, over email, whatever way. Uh, and sometimes they're not interested, you know, they, they, I get it. They think that I'm a salesman or whatever. And I'm not going to force anything on anybody, but like this particular guy right away, he said, you know, I actually have a lot of band directors. I think that what you're saying is great. I imagine that the second I get a few trumpets, uh, you know, near me and I'm able to play test them that I'm going to love them. My students love them. And I'm really close with some of these band directors. Like, let me, because you're educating me and I want to do good for my students and my community the way that you want to do good for these kids and make sure they have the best value instruments. Um, like the best playing, the best price, whatever, let me do the same thing for my community. Like he has the same intention that I have with if they are really great and kids and teachers are going to prefer them sometimes, let me make sure that they're educated. So that's another big part of my job. I will do like this, this R&D, basically, uh, people research and development to find them and contact them and have these discussions. Um, and then a small part of it right now is people that uh, this program that I've created to partner with these influential educators um, there's, there's only a few partners uh, that, you know, they, they have specific things that they do for us and, and I help them out how I can. Uh, I'll, fo- I'll follow up with them. So, for example, I got a text message last night from one of them uh, in the Houston area who said, hey, I have a private student and I was talking to him. We tried out a few horns. He actually just purchased a, a Hans Hoyer 6802 French horn for himself, a personal horn. Uh, so that guy... I mean, he helps out a lot because all of his private students, he doesn't force Hoyer down their throat, but he knows that he loves it and he loves it because it, I mean, it sells itself. It's a great horn. So he'll do what he can for me through this program to at least educate directors and kids. Um, and I mean, he does a great job and the people that don't know about Hoyer go for Hoyer. He just, two schools in the last two months, uh, they both basically replaced their sections. One got nine horns and one got eight horns, which is huge because that means for you know, the next 10 years, anyone coming through that school, band director or student, they're going to see that instrument and it's just going to be like a snowball effect. They're going to get to experience those Hoyer horns and at least some of them are going to love it. Uh, so I just do an, an active everyday, like, you know, eight hour shift of things that the office kind of already did, uh, but they just wanted like more focus, more attention, just more gung-ho activity when it comes to the brass. Yeah, because you're the first person with this job, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I honestly couldn't tell you who the last person was in my office. I didn't ever meet them. Uh, I don't think that they left on bad terms, but my specific office, you know, and the I guess... room in which you're in. Exactly, was someone else. Uh, and then they actually, they had some stuff in there. When I first started my job, we had to clean out the office and get a desk and stuff. Uh, but they've never had a, a brass development coordinator. And again, part of that is that uh, not only is the company developing in general, you know, like our, our clarinet score every year still... Um, but it's that the, the brass stuff is relatively recent. So like when they got the brass stuff, we only had 
we only had Tim. Like we didn't have a low brass product specialist. Tim, Tim did it all. Mm-hmm. Um, they called him up and they said, hey, brass this, brass that. And he played trombone in the Navy for however long uh, and still did music stuff. So he said, absolutely. And then as the company grew more and you know Tim was doing some stuff like what I'm doing, then all of a sudden, like crap, they needed a high brass product specialist. So they got them. And now we have so many artists and, and different manufacturing facilities, you know, the factories uh, and, and people calling them for the same random stuff that they call me for that now they needed someone to focus purely on the yeah. development. So they said, you know what, let's put in the, the focus and the time and the energy on, on this one position. And that's where I got hired. And so they, so they create, they created the job, but how did you, how did you find out about it? Yeah. So a lot of people have asked that, uh, because as you know, being a tuba euphonium player or any kind of classical musician, um, work, whether it is scarce or not, scarce or not, it seems so, you know, like there's not a lot of jobs out there, it seems like, where you and I can just go interview and after we do a dozen, we'll get hired. Um, but I hope you do, if, if you go for that. Um, so I was in my master's degree with Dan Parentoni at IU, who is basically like the BNS man. Mm-hmm. He has developed, you know, a lot of tubas for them. He's been to the factory a million times. He's played on BNS tubas for, I can't even tell you how long. Uh, actually, two of the, the fairly newer models are literally called a Mr. PC tuba, because Mr. Parentoni and a Mr. PF tuba. Uh, so I was in my master's degree. I was going for doctorates. Uh, I auditioned at Miami at UGA. I had a really good thing that I could have done at Miami. Uh, but Parentoni was like, you know, I know you're auditioning for this stuff. He also wanted me to, to audition for a doctorate at Indiana. But my wife, uh, or my soon-to-be wife, she was like, you know, no snow. <laughs> we, we can't be near snow. Uh, <laughs> so I didn't even consider that. So, But he said, you know, like I'm really close with uh, like the guys and gals down at the office in Jacksonville. And I knew a little bit about, you know, the office and the warehouse from my time at USF in Florida. And he said, you know, if you're interested, you should consider it. I was doing um, – I was basically – I was right before the general manager. I was about to be a general manager of a Chipotle that I worked up during my two years of my grad degree. Uh, so I had some business and marketing experience at that point, and he knew that I was a hard worker. You know, I was going to my master's at IU, and I was working 50 or 60 hours a week uh, at Chipotle. So he said, you know, this isn't playing every day probably, but you you do business and you do hard work and you also do music. You know, it seems like a perfect fit. You should go down for the interview. Uh, so if it wasn't for my connection with Parent Tony, you know, I would have had no idea. So... So what what are the what are the things you like about the gig so far? Because you've been in it almost a whole year now. No, it'll be it'll be six months exactly at the end of this year. As of as of recording this, and like, so I mean, but you've been in it for a minute. I mean, you didn't run off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, you didn't, you not yet, right? Like two weeks and you were like, <laughs> nope. This. So I mean, what do you like about your about your day in and day out? I mean. It was fun yesterday getting to hang out and meet everybody. Everyone was really nice and got to play some toys and stuff. Yep. Um, yeah, so so there are a lot of things. Uh, like there are logistical things, there are musical things, uh, non-musical but still like work-related things that are great about it. Um, so logistically, when I was working at uh, Chipotle, I don't think they can like sue me or anything because I don't work at Chipotle anymore, but I'm still going to talk about it. When I was working at Chipotle, uh, you know, I was working like 60 hours a week and when you do anything in the service industry, which I'm sure you know, whether it's uh, like retail or food or, or anything, you, I mean, it's, it's open all day because it's open for the people before they go to work and it's open for the people after they go to work. So one of the biggest things for me at Chipotle was I was either working from uh, like 6 a.m. until like 4 p.m., you know, some days, 10 hour shifts uh, on a good day, I, I would leave when I was supposed to leave uh, or I was working two until midnight, which on a good night I would leave at midnight. So it was like I, I would plan my schedule around where I'd have to go to class, 
And then as soon as I get off class, maybe I had time to practice, but more than likely I was just rushing to work to work until one or two in the morning. Uh, so one of the biggest things about it, especially now that I have a wife, you know, we want to get a dog soon. One day we might be crazy enough to have kids. Who knows? Um, is that I have a predictable schedule. It's not just that it's it's not late or too early. It's it's predictable. So I, I do travel. Like I've been to Texas so far twice for the gig. Um, I'll probably go to like Tallahassee soon for Surtech or maybe FMEA down in Tampa or whatever. Uh, but it's predictable. I know it's coming up. You know, we have meetings and stuff. I know when I'm going. So months in advance, Emily will know and I'll know that I'll be out of town. And besides that, uh, I know that I, you know, I go to the office during normal office hours. It's not four o'clock in the morning. It's not midnight. So that's great. Uh, the people that I work with are great. You know, the non-musicians in the office, they're still fantastic people. They do a great job. Uh, I don't, sometimes I don't even know what they're doing, but the fact that that company runs and that we have, you know, the business is so big means that they're doing a great job. Uh, the musicians in the office, I love, uh, I love that they appreciate the fact that these people that are musicians that also work in the office, that they have, uh, the savvy and stuff to be in business but that they still needed musicians and they, they appreciate that. Like Francois, the CEO, uh, he actually was a double replay player a long time ago. And I, I believe, I want to say, if I'm correct, that he 30 or 40 years ago, whatever it was, he was like a, a repair tech um, for, for double reads or something. Uh, and he did that for a while and he's worked his way up to where now he's the president of Powell Flutes and president and CEO of Buffet Cramp on USA. Uh, but they appreciate that he was in the business, a player, a repair guy. And I mean, now he runs the show, you know, like Tim was a trombone player in the Navy for however long. Warren got his trumpet degree at UNF. I got my master's in tuba performance. Uh, so it's nice to be around musicians, you know. I mean, a lot of those guys still play actively too. Yeah. I mean, we're, doing, I mean, we're literally, we're literally going to end this soon because we have a gig we have to go to. Right. Um, and then like I play with Warren in the brass band of Central Florida. He plays, you know, cornet in that. Yeah. Um, all of these guys still play. I mean, I, and... So it's not like you. It's not like you get a job on the business end of music, and the music's gone. Actually, I would probably assume it enhances a lot of those opportunities. Um, so, what would you suggest for somebody who wants to get into like this more administrative, the more business side, especially in instrument sales and stuff like that? Like, what would you suggest for them if they want to kind of pursue a career in that? Um, especially somebody who's like in high school, you know, maybe about to go to college, or they're in college or something. Because I mean, obviously, you don't get a you don't have a degree and you don't have an MBA, you know, you don't have a, bachelor. I do not, you do not have full any, disclaimer. I do, do not, have, you do not have any, like your stuff is all music. Your stuff's all too much. So, you know, and a lot of times that's how this works. I don't think, you know, a lot of people who get involved in that kind of stuff necessarily expect it. And then it happens and it yeah. works out really well. Um, but somebody who might be like, man, I really just, I want to work on the marketing for a company. You know, what, what would you suggest to them? Sure. Get ready for that. Um, well, one, no matter, no matter what they're getting ready for, make sure that your, your mind is nice and open and flexible, right? Don't set yourself up for failure by saying, I need to be full-time you know, business at Buffet Crampon one day, or I need to be an orchestra full-time because uh, life happens. And whether it's what you plan on or not, something will happen that's, that's not planned on. So be flexible. Uh, you can still aim towards it, but be flexible. So there are certain schools that actually, um, I, I couldn't tell you the actual degree names, like how I have a, you know, a, a a master's in music and performance. I couldn't tell you what the degree is, but for example, like SUNY Potsdam up in, uh, I think New York, right? Um, they have a, 
it's either music business or music marketing program. And I can tell you that like Buffet Crampon, a few of the people that we've hired recently, like salespeople, um, I know Yamaha, I think maybe out of that program, that program feeds out, uh, you know, we don't have like tons of employees. We're not like Walmart or anything, but that, that program feeds out people that, that come into this business. Um, one of the most important things, especially if you're doing like sales, like you are on the road, you know, talking to these dealers, uh, really actually doing the salesman part of the job. Uh, there are internships available, not just at Buffet, but at, at any group, you know, but we'd love to be contacted and say, hey, are there internship opportunities available? You know, you could reach out to me, you could reach out to uh, like Donnie Todd on the road in Florida. If you worked at a Sam Ash and you were going to college for music business, you thought, and Donnie came into the shop and you like Buffet Crampon Clarinets, you should say, hey, like, who can I contact? Sorry, contact about, uh, you know, an internship. I play this clarinet. Um, so the internship will help, uh, the, the program will help. Um, besides that, I don't really know what else you could do to kind of like aim for this job other than those routes. Uh, I would say if you know that certain p- people are particularly involved, uh, you kind of just have to be in the right place at the right time. Right? Yeah, it seems like, like, I mean, for you, it was a connection. Yeah, I mean, it was Parentoni, and it wasn't just Parentoni. It was that I was a current student of his, kicking at butt. At the right time. At the right time. Yeah, yeah, right place, right time. And also, you had the right attitude. I mean, I'm sure yeah. you weren't a jerk when you were in studio with Parentoni. <laughs> well, I mean, you don't know, right? You tried your best. Um, and then it also, I mean, just from my observation, it seems like, especially the sales guys, man, but they are such nerds when it comes <laughs> to the equipment itself. Like they, like, I think yesterday Tim was just going off about, Oh yeah, it's this four size and this, the bell shape and all, all this kind of stuff. And I'm just like, I just, I just want to know if it plays, man. <laughs> and it's, but it's so cool that they, they, they can, they have that information and they know it, you know, like that. Well, the interesting thing is about that is that uh, half of the musicians or half of the dealers, I mean, they won't give, you know, any kind of a heck about, the bore size of the bell or whatever, they'll play it and they'll want it to sound good. And then the other half, they, they totally care about all the same stuff that you do. Uh, and I'm not one of these people, so it's it's unbeknownst to me. But for some reason, it's does this sound good and what's the bore size? You know, And like Tim needs to know that stuff because half the people that contact him will ask whether they played the horn yet or not. They will say, hey, what's the bell and the bore size on this compared to like this other horn that's I mean, yours or I, not? I picked my horn because it has a slightly smaller bell than another. I mean, there are two prestigious. I play a 205-1. There's a 205-2. One has a smaller bell. Yep. Because of the kind of playing I do, I know that that would be a little bit easier on me. <laughs> and it's just, it's so, but knowing that kind of stuff just seems really interesting. Yeah. And they, they know it, you know, they're not just like, they don't just have photographic memories. Part of it's also that they're interested in it, that they care, they work hard and experience. Like they, they know based on the way I talked and stuff that I knew plenty about tubas, even if I didn't know like literally all the numbers and stuff. So that if I'm with the company long enough as breast development coordinator, which I, you know, I hope to be, um, that, that I will pick that up in time. Like I'll be able to talk about trumpets as, as in depth and nerdy as I can about tuba, you know, within the next few months. Um, so part of it is that the salesmen were just interested in their own thing. Like Donnie Todd is a euphonium player and was a, a band director, you know, so he kind of already had that interest. And now day in and day out, you know, probably every other person he sees, half of them, half of them care about just the sound. They don't care about anything else. And half of them say, like, I need to know price, bell size, bore size, the weight, you know, what material it's made out of, uh, is it conical, is it cylindrical, whatever, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so it is helpful to know. So do you have any other tips for anybody who might be interested in getting involved in the the business side of instrument sales sure instrument pushing or development of brass <laughs> yeah so there's um you know there, there are people that say uh be yourself and then there are people that i don't know if there's a, a saying for the other side of things but you know like to, to act the way you need to act to get the gig uh so there's 
it, it's so important. And you and I know uh, our undergrad teacher, Jay Hunsberger, he, he taught us this kind of stuff while he was also making us be less bad at our <laughs> instruments. Uh, it's so important to not only be authentic, but to be an authentic uh, in a way that, that people appreciate. So if, you know, if you go in and you, you nail an interview, but you're nothing like that and you're not going to act that way, you know, once you get the gig or whatever, then there's no point in nailing the interview. Um, there's, it's also definitely not going to work to go in and be yourself if, if you're a jerk and aggressive and whatever, and then to be nice in the job, obviously you won't get the job. So you need to figure out, um, like how to be at peace with yourself as a hard worker and someone with integrity and, and that kind of stuff in a way that you can also convey to other people. Um, because the people side of things is so important. When you when you get a call from somebody that has no idea what your gig is about or whatever, but whether you think about it or not, you're representing, you know? I'm, I'm representing like 15 people in the office. I'm representing a few hundred people worldwide. I'm representing, you know, who knows, millions, if not more dollars, how, however long a year across the world that we sell in instruments that have like 200 year history. And then also, you know, you might not think about it, but like I represent you. Someone comes to me with a Besson question, whether I'm supposed to answer it or not, like all they care about is, is, you know, is this guy making a good impression for Besson? And if I ruin that guy's time for Besson, then he might not like you anymore. And you're an artist that, that we care about and we try to take care of because you guys take care of us. Uh, so, so being a people person and, and relatable and, and honest and understanding is, is probably the most important thing that people don't think about. If you go in a practice room and you sound like a million bucks, but you're a jerk, I mean, they'll hand it to the other guy 100% of the time. So uh, just, you know, be yourself, but be yourself in a way that, that is a happy person and, a, you know, a conscientious person and everything else will fall into place, whether you get this gig or the orchestra gig, or the teaching gig, or or you manage a Chipotle full time for the rest of your life, it it'll be fine. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for sitting down and like hosting me this weekend. <laughs> yeah, it was nice. We uh, yeah, we gotta we gotta run and play a gig. Um, but guys, hey, thank you for joining us for today's conversation with John Haddon, who is the brass development coordinator with Buffet Crampon. <laughs> um, just just remind this is Aaron Campbell reminding you to be happy. But all, or to stay, be satisfied. Or ah, I'm gonna get my sign off one of these. You days. can do it. This is, <laughs> this is Aaron Campbell reminding you to be happy, but never satisfied. <laughs>